0: we're back for another episode of gems and jokes i'm ariel Tivon of Tivon fine jewelry on a quick personal note i just have to say thank you honestly for all the words of encouragement and positive support for this podcast it seems my dad jokes have found favor with many even though my kids just roll their eyes and hide in embarrassment every time they listen to one of these the best thing is the stories we're sharing are resonating with so many I think that, especially at this time when people are questioning humanity, it's very encouraging to actually see that ultimately human connection through stories hasn't been lost. In fact, dare I say, the sharing of stories and jokes is what we could all do a hell of a lot more with. It's the only way to repair the world, which seems to grow ever more distant despite there being more people than ever on this planet. Right, that was a bit heavy to start, so let's get right into the podcast. Today, we're talking Tanzanite. Now, tanzanite, for anybody who knows me, is one of my absolute favorite gems. In fact, it's kind of how my business made its mark in the UK all those years ago when I arrived from South Africa. This is a gem of such beauty that it captured my heart even before I came into this business full time. I remember spotting it in a jeweler's window when I was a teenager in Johannesburg. And the vivid violet blue color was just totally hypnotic. From that day, I was besotted. And when I arrived here in the UK, we became specialists and ultimately we built up one of the biggest and best collections in the trade. Sorry, a little bit of a free punt there for Tivon Fine Jewelry. Totally coincidental. For me, over and above the fact that this is a stunningly beautiful gemstone, one of the best things about Tanzanite is the rich folklore and the history that comes with it. Unlike so many other gems that simply are what they are, Tanzanite is linked to so many vibrant stories from the way it was discovered and introduced to the world, to how rare and special this gemstone truly is. So, on that note, I want to mention I have an awesome guest today. She's going to help us shed some light on tanzanite, how the market has evolved, the mining of tanzanite, and ultimately, how it seemed to conquer the world's hearts unlike any other gem. Plus, hopefully, maybe a few nuggets of information that no one's heard before, perhaps even a little bit of gossip. My guest today is Janet Silk. Janet once served as the sales director for the Tanzanite Company. The Tanzanite Company was the official sales arm of Tanzanite One, which is the largest and most important Tanzanite miner in the world. Janet saw and lived the Tanzanite story through and through. So let's get going and let's bring her on. Hi, Janet. Thanks so much for joining me on my podcast. Pleasure. It took some serious convincing. Seriously, you are actually, I think, one of the busiest women that I know in this game. So thank you actually for making a little bit of time for a little of me. Greatly would it would be nice
1: if I was making any money. But anyway,
0: that's yeah. another story. But uh, yeah. listen, in our business, being busy is part of the game. We sow seeds, and at some point, we hope that everything takes off and, and pays off. Correct. By the way, just a tip to anybody who has a dream out there never underestimate the power of a guilt trip, because I think that's how I got you on this. Uh, you know, that book by Dale Carnegie of How to Win Friends and Influence People? I think he left out a chapter of how to use guilt to rope anybody into (laughs) what you need. So I think that's how today happened. So at this point, before we get deep into Tanzanite and I get you to spill some of the beans of what you know and to share some of the stories and the gossip about Tanzanite, I just want to mention to the listeners a few positive things. So part of my aim with this podcast is actually to highlight the beauty of our industry, which I think doesn't get nearly enough attention. And in today's world, There's so much talk of gender equality to the point, I'd say to the ad nauseum point that I think anybody listening to this podcast can actually hear my eyes roll in my head. Now, the only reason I'm bringing this up is I'm trying to actually highlight a lot of the positive aspects of our industry. And to me, objectively, I see the jewelry and the gemstone business being not only very inclusive. But also often, in many instances, being run by a lot of very powerful, very smart, and very savvy women. Of course, you're included in that. And then group. there's me. No, no, no. I think yeah, yeah. I think you're included <laughs> in that group. So you've been in this game for a long time. Would you agree with the statement I've just made, or is your experience being different to that?
1: There is no doubt that it is a very male-dominated industry and environment. But I have to say that I have never once thought that it's been to my disadvantage being a woman or a female. In fact, I often think quite the contrary, that by being a woman in a man's world gives you an edge in some ways. We think differently. I've made very good friends with a lot of my suppliers and a lot of my customers. And quite frankly, I think we sometimes get away with more as a woman than as a man. This is not going to be very politically correct, I have, I'm have, i sure. But
0: this isn't Um, a politically correct show we we say we tell the truth and we say exactly what's on our mind no nothing politically correct about either of us which is why you're a guest on my show which is why i love you
1: (laughs) exactly um no i love our industry and i i do believe there are barriers to entry in the industry which have nothing to do with being male or female and the barriers to entry are not intentional. A lot of the businesses in our industry are generational family and family businesses. Now I come from into this industry totally independently. My family have had nothing to do with the jewelry gemstone business and I I remain the only one in my family, but I've almost created a whole family in this industry. And I don't think there are many other industries out there where people will actually work together and help you as much as they do. You know, there's not many industries where you're Competitors are actually your really good friends.
0: It's funny sometimes how you will cooperate. I think you're right. I've never actually paused to think about that, but actually, I do. I have a lot of competition myself, but I'm on great terms with them. And often we actually help each other. And you're right. I'm not sure about other industries where that happens. I think in other industries, they'll pummel you into the ground just to get the deal. And often, look, mm -hmm.
1: they'll pummel you into the ground every now and then, given half the chance. Yeah, but that's that's half
0: of the course for sure.
1: Exactly. um, I think a lot of us are in this industry by hook or by crook because we and I hate the I think the word passionate is so overused but we actually love what we do I still walk into a trade show and I see those gemstones and my heart starts racing and I have seen these stones a million times over but I still get blown away and I think everybody that we work with not everybody most of the people that we work with are of a similar ilk we love the material that we work with which I think puts you in a very different mindset to if you are building buildings and you're dealing with bricks and mortar which you can't get that excited about or yeah. you know I, I, I think it's a, it's an exciting industry in order to be successful in this industry, I think it does involve travel yeah. And being a relatively small industry, you end up bumping into the same people all the time. So it's a very small industry. So as a very long answer to your question, no, I don't believe that I have not come across any discrimination because I'm a woman.
0: Well, listen, at the end of the day, most of us are creating or designing or supplying uh, women in one way or another. So if we've got to really be very open and it, I think it's coming back to more what you say it really does become a big extended family now like most families mm. you have family members who you don't like and you'd rather
1: <laughs> exactly
0: <laughs> not, not see your bump into but uh, yeah. you greet them nonetheless you'll have a drink and then send them on their merry way now you yeah. had to wear many hats I mean everything from running your own business and running pillar to post around the world part being at one point sales director for the biggest Tanzanite company in the world, which we'll come back to. Yeah. What do you actually think of our industry today? And be honest, do you think it's become a much tougher business? Is it a competition wise? Is it a much
1: tougher environment than it used to be? I think with the advent of and the increase in internet sales, which will lead to a far more vertically integrated, less levels, you're yeah, a far flatter, shall I say, operation, it is going to make life a little bit more tricky. You are dealing with a client base that is far more educated now than they were 10, 15 years ago. And I'm not saying that you want to pull the wool over anybody's eyes, but I am so tired of dealing with internet experts who have spent two or three hours Googling something on on the internet and now think they know as much as you know who's been in the trade for 25 years. So in that respect, possibly.
0: It's very similar, actually. You say say that, but it's like, Typically my wife, I call her the doctor in our family, you know, oh, yes. somebody, somebody has an ailment immediately Google onto it. Google next second. Yeah. She's diagnosing me, you know, I, I'm off to hospital because she's read the first five bullet points and all of them fit with the fact that, you know, my right arm is sore. Suddenly I, I'm about to have amputated have a or something, something yeah. along those lines. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think you're right. I think in terms of the internet, Yeah, certainly a lot more information is available. Customers are in some degree more savvy and certainly more educated. Mm -hmm. But the problem Mm -hmm. is when you encounter people that, as you say, they've taken this information, but now think they're armed with all the information, not the experience that is needed in a lifetime of working in this industry.
1: The gemstone industry is quite an anomaly there. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's a lot of it is family businesses where you don't go and study you can go and do your gg or you become a gemologist or you become a jewelry designer etc etc that still does Mm. not arm you sufficiently to operate to your full extent in the trade which i suspect is the same you go and study to be an architect or an engineer or a doctor Mm. you still need your years before you can go out there into the wide world
0: the textbook education that you get but correct not not the school of hard knocks real life education
1: exactly and sadly in our in our industry, your school of hard knocks is a jolly hard school. Been there, done that on a couple of occasions.
0: And an expensive um, one in our industry.
1: A very expensive one. Exactly. There's a lot less formal training and a lot more learning on the job, paying your school fees along the way. The thing that I do love about our industry is I think it's a very self-policing, self-correcting. At the end of the day, it is all about your word, your honor. And if you have a good name in the trade, you can fly. That's if your If you currency. don't have a good name. 100% it's your currency if you have a bad name in the trade you may as well pack a box of spiders and go and do something else there are shysters in the trade. Don't get me wrong, and they do seem to perpetuate and pop up <laughs> in all yeah. the corners of the earth. But as a as a general rule, it is self policing from that perspective. It's still quite a small industry, isn't it? So,
0: relatively you know, I'm- speaking, I mean, perhaps on the retail front, if you take the big companies like the Tiffany's, the LVMH's, and so on, that's where it really becomes exponentially bigger. But I suppose totally. comparatively, but I'm talking to-
1: even on on the supply side. You know, I have customers who think they're very clever and they'll ask me for a stone and then they'll ask somebody else for a stone. And at the end of the day, you could be going back to two supplies in the in the whole world that would potentially have those stones. And they'll say to you, sorry, lovey, I got this call yesterday. Or mm. they'll phone me, which more often happens, and they'll say, ha ha, we've just got this call from somebody else. And it, once again, it's all down to relationships. They know you, they like you. They're not going to give the stone to the other person. They're going to give it to you.
0: And I think you actually, what you have also highlighted is something that I've said before, is that when you get a specific call for something and it narrows down to maybe, as you say, two people in the world, it once again highlights how rare a lot of the products we deal with truly are. If you're literally coming down mm -hmm. to two people who've got access to this sort of thing, this is not an assembly line product. This is a very Correct. special, luxury, exclusive product a lot of the time.
1: And this is what people don't seem to understand. You know, Even on the diamond side, where there's always this illusion in the, the end customer that there are volts and volts of diamonds sitting with, with De Beers. And, you know, and if you are looking for a 152 GVS2, you will find it. Well, guess what? You might not. It might be a GVS1 or a GVVS1 or rubies. Looking for a matching pair of six carat, perfectly gorgeous pigeon blood rubies. Rounds. Ha, ha, ha.
0: Don't exist. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: A lot of my customers tend to think that literally we keep everything in my dad's back garden, that we dig all the diamonds up (laughs) in the the backyard (laughs) because we come from Africa. I don't know. Yeah. My, my dad's back garden has been mined out. Maybe your garden's got some. Maybe I'll come to your place. I don't
1: know. Yeah, we'll come. <laughs> <laughs> you never know what we'll find. Yeah, we'll start yeah, digging. It's amazing the perception out there. So as educated as these people think they are, they actually have no idea how small the industry is. And I think you know what? There's some, and I'm probably giving trade secrets away here. But as a woman, you might get away with more than as a man. You know, if in, look, twenty years ago it was a very different story. Sadly, got to rely yeah. on my personality these days, which is a
0: complete
1: <laughs> shocker. But, <laughs> you know, I don't even have ago, that to rely
0: on. So where do you think I stand in the
1: industry? Ariel, <laughs> Ariel. <Arielle. laughs> Your sense of humor, honey, you've yeah, got that's, that's
0: about the only currency, yeah. <laughs> my, my no. good name and my sense of humor. And even that's waning. So, so let's yeah. carry on. So Correct. tell me something yeah. on, a, on a different note. Do you see still having been in the industry this length of time? Do you see
1: yeah.
0: opportunity still in our industry? And be specific because I'm taking notes because right after you say it, I'm going straight to, <laughs>
1: to that. Yeah, I'm so give the garden garden I need as many tips as I can get. Very yeah. quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Misinformation. Do I see opportunities? Absolutely. I can't think of one right now, to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> and if I do, I'm definitely it's the not
0: the answer do. that every single jeweler comes back. <laughs> comes exactly. Back. We've got well, lots of opportunities. another can't thing think in of this it. trade.
1: Yeah, don't expect an honest answer or a clear answer out of everybody, anybody, because <laughs> you're never going to get it. Well, a clear answer um, for certain, never as clear as mud. Do I see opportunities for sure? Once again, and I think it, it will hold true for any industry. It's, it changes all the time, and you've got to be open to adapt. And you don't be greedy. Play nicely. What we may have touched on earlier in this industry, your suppliers are as important as your customers. And if you don't have a good relation, if you have a good relationship with your suppliers you are far more likely to be successful than if you don't.
0: That's a great point. And I think often one that many people in our industry actually forget. Now, let's mm. come back to your specific background. So at some point, as you say, you didn't come from a jewelry background or a gemstone mm. background. You got sucked into the dark side, which which is the gemstone <laughs> and, and jewelry They got industry. cookies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how, how did you actually first come into our industry?
1: I moved up from Durban, which is the one town on the coast of South Africa, to Johannesburg. A very good friend of mine was working for Mike Nunn, who at the time was mining emeralds in Zambia, and she and I was doing the the banking and route going for interviews. And she said, well, come and talk to Mike. I thought, you know, it's not really, I'm finance, blah, blah, blah. And I went to talk to Mike who could sell ice to Eskimos. When you say
0: Mike, you mean Mike Nunn, who we'll talk about in a while. Okay.
1: Yeah. And that was that. I started working for Mike and I started a silver electroforming factory business with him and then mike at the same time had secured the rights to the first commercial tanzanite mine just outside of russia in Marilani. so that would have been in the late 90s i of course was a child prodigy i was about seven at the time <laughs> yeah <laughs> you told you only clever um,
0: people come into this industry
1: uh, yes <laughs> and so we started mining tanzanite the first commercial mine, as I say, listed in Johannesburg and then listed it subsequently in London. 2000, yeah. So let's let's 2000. take a step
0: back. So one of the things that I said in the sort of preamble to this interview was mm. that one thing I love about Tanzanite is that it has such a rich history. It's got, I mean, it's a very short history, but the fact is that it's got such fantastic legend and folklore about it, how it came out. It's a very, very interesting stone. So let's mm-hmm. just review quickly sort of the highlights. Correct me where I'm wrong. So discovered yeah. in 1967. So relatively Correct. very new gem. Gemstone
1: uh, terms, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Gets brought to Tiffany's in New York where they changed the name from zoocyte to tanzanite. And thank God for that. Uh, yeah, zoocyte exactly. is not the most sexy name for a gemstone. And At this normal
1: zoocyte is a very boring and sexy stone yes. without the vanadium aspect, yeah.
0: Absolutely. At this point, actually, I just want to ask how many times have you dealt with international clients and they've asked you, is Tanzanite from South Africa? Because <laughs> <laughs> I've that... got asked that. I've actually got asked that a lot. And I kind of say, um, Tanzanite, Tanzania. There's a clue in there. Yeah.
1: Somewhere. There's a clue. I'm going to give you another. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'm going to give you another couple of clues, but yeah. And then you watch, you watch as the revelation sort of dawns on them and
1: ah, yeah. Yeah,
0: uh, I, I, I get it. Yeah. yeah. So, so it gets discovered, gets brought to Tiffany's. It does yeah. the rounds for about 30 to 35 years, but not truly taking off in any sort of serious, serious way. And yeah. then at that stage enters a guy a called Mike man. Nunn. Yeah. So just tell us who he is and what was the vision? How did this whole thing kick off with him?
1: Mike is an extraordinary man and he has unbelievable vision. I'm not sure exactly what took him to Tanzania and to Tanzania. I think, you know, at the time, there were a lot of guys coming down from Arusha and I suspect this was the beginning of it. Our offices were in the diamond center in Joburg, which was where all the big diamond cutting factories were all the gemstone diamond guys were there. So if you were coming to sell rough, that would be the place to go. And because he was involved with emeralds, I imagine word got out and he started buying rough tanzanite and then started flying up to Arusha to go and buy rough there. And then I think one thing led to another and Mike being Mike, managed to acquire, the tanzanite bearing area is literally seven kilometers long in size and it's divided into four blocks a b c and d block a is already mined out block b is where the artisanal mines are and block c which became our block was actually a graphite mine they had started mining tanzanite but had found it just way too difficult the security was a major issue the not the byproduct of tanzanite but the area in which tanzanite is found is graphite the bedrock is well, not the bedrock is graphite, but it, it, it also, graphite is one of the hosts of Tanzania. Right. So what they did was convert it into a graphite mine. However, I don't think it was financially feasible. And they ended up going bankrupt. And Mike then acquired the right Mining being mining, I remember when we were doing the prospectus, when we were doing the listing. Typically indicative of what this industry is all about. Mm -hmm. These guys had gone bankrupt. We got there and we were doing our bulk sampling to sort of verify the feasibility of the mine. And literally, if they had dug one more meter, we found the biggest payload ever of Tanzanite, I think, that they'd ever got in the mine. So it's a bit like gambling at Vegas. You know, you stand at one machine and you put your entire fortune into that machine, but you're too scared to leave because, uh, you know, the minute you leave, the next person's going to put their money in the machine and get all your money back. Yeah. And that is exactly what happened with our mine, with the Tanzanite 1 mine. So Mike acquired the rights. He listed as AFGEM initially on in, in the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, and then subsequently listed it in London as Tanzanite 1
0: Now, I just want to go back a step and we want to explain here just how rare Tanzanite is. So one of the points that you made was that it is literally found in one very, very small corner of the world. You're talking about a stretch of land, which is about seven kilometers by about two kilometers, something like that. It's literally on the border of Tanzania and Kenya. So only there. And and, and
1: Not into
0: the, Kenya. It is, it is only in Tanzania. But only in, only in Tanzania. Yeah. And literally, it is the perfect combination. As we said, it is zoisite, but it's the only zoisite that also has made this perfect marriage of minerals together with vanadium, which gives yeah. off this gorgeous violety blue color. And mm-hmm. for that to happen in one place, literally one tiny speck of land, in the middle of Africa and nowhere else, I think it is just astronomical. I think often you see online, people are selling green Tanzanite or yellow Tanzanite yeah. and it's simply being mislabeled. It's just not Tanzanite. It's zoisite, but it's not Tanzanite.
1: No, exactly. Look, we used to get that green and the, and the yellow in in our mind, so it's it's found in the same areas. It yep. just hasn't been exposed to the vanadium. The vanadium is what gives it its blue color, which bizarrely enough, vanadium is what gives emeralds its green color. I don't know the the chemical compound of it, but
0: this isn't a dissertation, so don't worry about that.
1: Okay, now, very good.
0: Yeah, when it comes out the ground. It isn't exactly (laughs) the sexiest looking rock. It's not that bluish violet color that we see in the end product. Uh, You
1: say that I have spent many a day in a mine shaft underground and I have seen that magnificent color in the rock. So it does occur down there in that color.
0: Well, I'm glad you said that. Not as a general rule, Yeah, but it does. So I'm glad I'm actually so happy you said that because one of the things people often ask, you know, they, they come up with the question is tanzanite treated? And I'm quick to correct them by saying tanzanite is not treated. Tanzanite Mm -hmm. is heated. And Mm -hmm. really what you're doing when you're heating it, which is distinctly different to treating, treating essentially is introducing a foreign element, changing that chemical composition of a gemstone to something that it wasn't before. Heating is Mm -hmm. essentially replicating what happens naturally underground over millennia, Thousands of Correct. years. And so you've actually just confirmed that because, as you say, you've been down in the mine and you've seen naturally occurring. Obviously, those stones have had the time to be under pressure, to be under Exposed natural heat. heat. Exactly. Well, you
1: can buy no heat. It's very rare and there's very few. Extremely labs, rare. I think- I I believe AGL is the only ones who will put no heat treatment on their tanzanite. I have seen no heat. It is very rare. Tanzanite is trichroic, right? So it's got three axes, the brown axis, the blue axis, and the purple axis. So when you are heating tanzanite, all you are doing is burning off the brown axis. You are not enhancing the color at all. If it's a crappy, am I allowed to say crampy if it's
0: say whatever you want (laughs) you're in (laughs) you're in good company our audience only the finest people they've heard these words
1: they've heard these
0: words before yeah
1: if it's a shitty stone it is always going to be a shitty stone you can heat it till you're purple in the face not going to make any difference you are never going to enhance the color all you are doing is burning off the one axis to enable the blue or the violet to shine through it's also got, as I'm sure you know, the violet axis is bigger, tends to be the larger side of the crystal than the blue axis, right. which is why there is more, slightly more of the violet tone than the blue stone because it tends to be cut on the violet axis because they get a better recovery on the stone.
0: By the way, for our listeners, that is a technical term after years and years of studying to be a gemologist. Only then will you be allowed to use the term the shitty part of the gemstone. <laughs> So um, we're we're, we're pearls of wisdom, literally (laughs) falling, falling out of the microphone over here. So obviously we've got the two main axes being the purple and the violet, which is the beautiful color that you tend to see in Tanzanite. But often for me, actually, in the most special of specimens, you get also part of the burgundy remains where Mm. you see these beautiful flecks of red coming off the stone for me those are Mm -hmm. actually the most special because they show the true trichroic nature of the stone and they exude i mean the the flash is incredible
1: look to be fair the color of tanzanite is probably the closest to the color of a cashmere sapphire that you're going to get and if you consider what the price is of tanzanite compared to what you're going to pay for cashmere sapphire It's a slightly softer, not slightly, it is a softer stone than a sapphire. But other than that, the color of a Tanzanite still remains one of my top, top, most beautiful stones. It really has, I love it. And the other fallacy is that
0: everybody thinks that all Tanzanite is essentially this incredible color that you're seeing often in the best collections like we do quick plug for Tivon <laughs> <Correct>. but um, <laughs> yeah. actually if you look at the most the, the majority that actually comes out it's this very pale insipid sort of lavender mm. color which tends to go into the the mass product
1: yeah. Well, that's the same with anything, isn't it? Any any run of mine is going to be 2% higher grade, 95% stones that you actually don't really, <laughs> can't really think yeah. of anything to do with.
0: They meet the so, technical term of gem, but they're not really gem grade.
1: Yeah, they're facetable, but they're not a very nice, they're, they're very insipid in color. Tanzanite by nature is a cleaner crystal. So they're not going to be as included as an emerald, for example, or, or a lot of the other, tourmalines, any, any of that family. So they are blessed that at least there will be cleaner stones. Yes. The thing with turns out, there's nothing you can do to that stone besides heat it. So there is no way of enhancing the color of the stone.
0: That's a fantastic point is that I've often told people many gemstones, often when there is heat treatment, you can heat it more. And the, and the more you heat it, the darker it gets. Mm-hmm. With, ta- with tanzanite, it's not like you can, it's not like you put it in the microwave for five minutes as opposed to two minutes and, and then you get a much <laughs> better color. The natural huh. properties of the gemstone only allow it to go so far in how it is improved. Amazing. You're basically
1: unveiling. You're not even improving, you're unveiling the color, aren't you?
0: That's a beautiful way of actually saying it. I've never... I've, I've just never heard of that. that but it, that's a beautiful Bloody way of brilliant. I know. Correct. I'm telling you. Why aren't you in marketing? It's in, you've <laughs> the show Coiling.
1: shows are true colours,
0: Ariel. Okay. Before anybody else goes, to get a copyright. I've done it <laughs> on the show.
1: <laughs> Yvonne
0: unveils the colour of Tanzania. Thank you. Thank you. Done uh, and well, dusted. It's you owe me, you yeah, owe me, Ariel. Uh, you yeah. Uh, I owe you more than you know. So let's get back to the rarity for a second. So. When the marketing began back in the sort of late 80s and 90s, the word on the street Mm -hmm. was that this was a one or two generation gemstone, and that within approximately 15 to 20 years, to a large degree, it was gonna run it was gonna run run out, it was gonna be mined out, and that really gave it a big push in popularity and demand. What was that estimation Um, based on?
1: Okay. So that estimation was actually done scientifically when we were listing on oh, the. That is done
0: scientifically. Not that somebody just guessed. Not <laughs> yeah, some, we got about well, listen, 15, 20 years worth of this stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was someone's idea that it Absolutely. just sucked out of their thumb. We'll
0: tell but, them it's 15 to 20 years. It sounds correct. good. Correct. Yeah.
1: I boost the triple the value instantly. Exactly. Um, When we were listing on the JSC, you have to put forward a prospectus. And they go through that perspective with the fine tooth comb. So you have to give life of mind, right? Because that's an important element of your investment vehicle, whether how feasible it's going to be. There's very little known about the Tanzanite geology and source. You know, diamonds, De Beers have uh, documented all sorts, and diamonds are a lot easier. They come in, as a general rule, they come in Kimberlite pipes. People understand the geology. You understand the indicators. Your micro gar- your micro diamonds, your garnets, your blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Tanzanites occur in what is called budens, which very simplistically is like a bunch of cocktail sausages that are joined together. There may be tanzanite in a boudin. At the end of the day, very little was known about the actual resource. It was assumed from all the knowledge currently available that it would Reach a certain depth and would not go any deeper than that. So, that 20 year life of mine was based on that resource. And it was certainly not intended to hoodwink anybody because obviously, if there was a 40 year life of mine, it would be an even better investment, right? Because you double your money for the same input costs. So That was honestly what was believed at the time, was that it was a 20-year resource. You can't really put a 20-year line to it because it depends on the rate of your mining. There's a million factors involved.
0: And also the technology of mining that's available at the time.
1: They subsequently discovered that the resource runs a lot deeper than we had initially thought. When you talk about the instantly making it become a far more desirable stone, Sean Gilbertson, I remember Sean Gilbertson from Gemfields once saying that Gemstones defies the law of economics. Increased supply equals increased demand. The minute you have a consistent, regular supply of gemstones, the demand for that stone increases enormously. If the supply is erratic, the pricing is all over the show, there's no consistency to it. People tend to stay away from that gemstone because it just creates headaches for them. You know, if you as a retail jeweler are selling, for example, a beautiful Alexandrite, and somebody comes in, one of our internet experts, and wants a matching pair to match that their beautiful ring. They yes. want a pair for earrings. He knows he's not going to find a matching pair exactly like that ring. So he'd rather just not dock Alexandra at all. And I think there's a lot of exquisite gemstones on this earth that have not reached full uh, marketing and and visual exposure because they are there's no consistent supply the gemstone resources as a general rule are very small you know it brings you to another whole conversation of artisanal miners versus big commercial miners and it's it's not often that you have a gemstone resource that warrants a big commercial setup you know you take the banels in tanzania the beautiful mahogany spinels in those stones shot the lights out, but that little resource didn't last very long. Mm. There's no ways it would have been worth anybody's mind to set up a commercial mine there. And that little supply is long gone, that pocket of spinels.
0: But that also pushes the price up because Hugely, now it's, a, it's a finite later. commodity. It's something you can't. Only
1: once it's run out, then people yes. go, oh, my word. Those stones, you're not going to be able to get those stones anymore.
0: So speaking of timelines, so we we spoke about that in the early days, there was this 15, 20-year sort of timeline. Obviously, with time going on, new geological studies, they found it runs deep, as you said. Now, Mm. when I started dealing in Tanzanite, when I set up my business here 18 years ago, the word Mm. on the street was, at the time, the yield of truly fine gem-grade Tanzanite, as a percentage Mm -hmm. of the total mining yield was somewhere around 10%. The word on the street at the moment is that that yield has fallen dramatically to something like 2% of mining yield is gem grade. And that actually a lot of the tanzanite that you see out there being moved around in the trade is stockpiled inventory. And is that accurate? Is that... Would you say you know? Because there was also, I heard, I think a couple of years back, we were talking to somebody in the know at a trade show, and they were mm-hmm. saying actually the, the there was a lot of marketing being prepared to try and push the really sort of pale mass product Tanzanite, yeah. simply because you know the gem grade had fallen tremendously in terms of yield.
1: I agree. Look, it's any gemstone mine is nightmare. The ni- the ninety five percent run of mine, right. Mm. So even if there was gorgeous, still a large volume of top top stones coming out, you're still sitting with a massive volume of run of mind stones. So cognac diamonds champagne diamonds you know they every industry's had their their little run of of trying to market the the lower grade stuff in terms of tanzanite i'm not sure how much of that is due to the grade decreasing or due to the actual mining decreasing the but you the mean
0: the overall mine. yield of the mine what Correct. the mine is actually because as yeah. you say they they found it goes deeper but there's a point to because which you can defense. you can only mine to a certain depth. You can't keep digging until you hit China. First of all, you don't no. want to hit China for a whole lot of political reasons, <laughs> but also because <laughs> but also because at some point it's just unsafe. You give unsafe for the miners unsafe conditions Look, for
1: commercial too. mines it's not a problem and i don't think it's hit the point where it's not safe from a commercial technical perspective tanzania politically has ran a complete minefield with mogu fuli was the president of tanzania he came right. into power about eight years ago maybe right great excitement when he came in we all thought because he his his election ticket was no was anti-corruption i remember his inauguration, dash, which would be the case in Tanzania, would have cost millions of dollars. And he he said, don't be ridiculous. All I need to do is sign a piece of paper. The Dar es Salaam hospital has no beds. So the million dollars you had earmarked for my inauguration, going buy beds for the Dar es Salaam hospital. This had never happened before. We, everybody was gobsmacked. But the road to good intent, what's that saying? The road to all, heaven, all, the road to hell intentions. is paved with good intentions.
0: Yeah, something like that
1: and that is the two scholars
0: trying to work out the yeah
1: (laughs) watch the space
0: (laughs) yeah exactly
1: he basically annihilated the tanzanian economy on on every level he passed away about a month ago they are denying that it was covid and he first of all denied the existence of covid and then said that he had a few plants tested He did a few COVID tests on plants and they came back positive.
0: I remember this, yeah.
1: So Tanzania has not closed its borders, has been in total denial of the whole COVID. They just carried on life as normal. So it's quite ironic that he actually ended up succumbing to it. But I digress. And in his bid to clamp down on on this, he went about it in the completely wrong way. So him and Trump should actually have... Piled up. He he built a wall around this entire the entire Tanzania producing areas. Seven, this massive big wall. Did the Mexicans um, pay for it? <laughs> we'll have to find out. Yeah. you know, and it's all it's all with good intent. He raised the minimum wage within the mining sector so that you had to pay. X, well, I don't know if it was ten dollars a day or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Now a lot of the artisanal miners and a lot of the smaller mining companies send guys down. Because cash flow is always an issue. so nobody could afford to pay anybody anything. What happened was when they came above ground again they would get a percentage of whatever it was that they had got underground. right. Now this served two purposes. The one was they would actually reveal what they'd got and not steal everything. and secondly, they would then get paid once they'd sold that right it was a cash flow facilitating process. by forcing these guys to pay, a minimum wage before they'd even walked through the door caused a lot of the guys in Block B to just say, you know what, don't worry, we'll go and farm millies. It's just, it doesn't work for us. They also, to preempt, in principle, once again, it's a good idea. When you leave said wall, there's great big gates. As you enter through there, you have to declare what you have and you have to pay the excise duty as you leave in the Tanzanite area, not once you sold the goods.
0: So in short, government's great intentions once again demolish an industry.
1: Totally correct. Now, you would think decrease in supply. There was a lot of Tanzanite in the pipeline in Jaipur. There there were big Tanzanite stocks. So it wasn't really felt in the market for quite a while because it just meant that the guys were working through their stocks. Right. What will also contribute to the perception of the grade lowering is that obviously in the stock levels, the good stones were sold first. Of course. So... You're dealing with the stock level that hasn't had much input over two or three years. Obviously, what you're left with is once again that technical term, the shitty stones. Yes. You can see it in the market that there is beautiful stones that we used to see are becoming a lot more rare. And uh, but I do believe there's various factors that contribute to that, not just
0: not just supply and over- demand.
1: Yeah. And then back to what we were saying, you know, the supply of rife has dropped. It doesn't make the price go up because it's a false shortage. You know, if Mugafuli woke up one day and decided, right, this has all been a terrible mistake. Knock the walls down, knock yourselves out. It's a free for all. Yes. The production would ramp up in- instantly. The price would then drop. It's a false shortage. No one's going to go and spend a fortune on overpriced inventory that could that could change overnight. I'm with you. So the guys, a lot of the big Tanzanite guys, and once again, there were probably five to seven guys, the, the big top Tanzanite players. You know, sort of. <sighs> We'll give Tanzanite a miss. It's too volatile. And a lot of them moved to Emeralds, for example. Emeralds, Morganite, because Tanzanite was just a mugs game.
0: Right. So let's take it back for a second. Obviously, we've mentioned that at one point, the main company was listed on the London Stock Exchange, became Tanzanite One. And part Mm -hmm. of their endeavors was also to set up a foundation to help the Tanzanite Foundation, as it was called at the time, to help feed back the benefits of the whole Tanzanite back to the communities, um, especially yeah. the Maasai tribe, which are a predominant tribe in the area. Yeah. Have you seen, have they actually benefited from the Tanzanite mining industry?
1: Oh, hugely, hugely. Look, the Tanzanite Foundation was the brainchild of Mike. And that is basically what put Tanzanite on the map. You know, it would have been another gemstone, Morganite, da da da. So if a percentage of all rough sold by Tanzanite one was mandatorily. Given to the foundation, which built hospitals, built schools, yeah, education, and a lot of the Maasai are involved in Tanzanite mining itself. In fact, the rough trade in Arusha is totally run by the Maasai. They're very shrewd, very sharp, switched on. So, So yeah,
0: one could say actually that Tanzanite almost is the original natural, ethically sourced gemstone.
1: Hundred percent, yeah. If you look at where Arusha is now, and it's not, and it's not just as a result of Tanzanite. But Arusha, when I first went to Arusha, as I say, when I was five years old, uh, in the 90s is an incredibly different city to what it is now. Not all thanks to Tanzanite, but...
0: In great um, parts.
1: Absolutely. Not in, not even in great parts, but it has certainly contributed to the local industry, to the local economy.
0: Yeah, huge. And then finally, I mean, a great thing for Tanzanite and a great thing for gem lovers all over the world, Tanzanite pushes its way to replace the December birth zone, which used to be turquoise. And thank the Lord for that, because I remember seeing (laughs) turquoise in my dad's office when I was young in these big silver rings. And I I don't know why I just never liked turquoise. So I think that helped also push its popularity a lot. Plus, you know, you've got coming back to the folklore of Tanzanite, Tanzanite or the blue beads that were fashioned by the Maasai out of Tanzanite were given as gifts of fertility. So perhaps yeah. uh do you think that today maybe it's people hoping to get lucky over the uh Christmas December period that making
1: <laughs> you Ariel? It's too desperate.
0: <laughs> a little Tanzanite goes a long way. Nudge nudge wink uh, wink yeah. for any people looking out there. <laughs> So finally, as a, as a parting question, what yeah. do you think the future of tanzanite and other rare gemstones looks like? Because to me, I see rarity increasing. I see prices in recent years going up. So mm. what, what do you think the future of gemstones and specifically tanzanite looks like?
1: I think that it's onwards and upwards. If you're dealing with a limited resource. For example, pink tanzanite.
0: Pink
1: there was,
0: sign. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I'm holding you to your definition. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, there was a magnificent parcel of stones that came out, I don't know how long ago. Honestly, looked like a pink sapphire, but the life and sparkle of a Tanzanite. And long and the short of it, I have a client now who is looking for one of those stones. I think at a wholesale level... I can't even remember what I sold it for. I have su- I've been offered one, which is once again that technical term, a really shitty stone. I mean, mm-hmm. it is brown with with a little bit of pink. If you closed one eye and a lot of imagination. In
0: a dark room with no windows, right? Yeah. Correct.
1: With your sunglasses on, and <laughs> yeah. they have offered this dreadful stone to me at eight thousand dollars a carat.
0: Wow, and that's not even so- a, what you'd call a gem grade stone. So far I mean, from. Look, it's
1: ge- it's gem grade because it's clean and it's been nicely cut, but the color is expanding. It's brown. It's no weird, but $8,000 a carrot. Are you Good completely God. mad? But you know what? They obviously think that they can get it or they're going to hang in there until, and there's, you know, so yeah, is what is the future of, of Tanzanite? It is a limited resource. 100%. There's been lots of stop, start, stop, start with the mining of the stone. Mm-hmm. So that has contributed to the fact that the resource is deeper than what we initially thought. I think the whole colored gemstone industry is on the up and up as people become more educated and they realize that diamonds are not the only gemstone of value. And there's there's always new stones. I mean, you look at the, the ruby deposit in Mozambique that was discovered eight years ago. That has totally revolutionized rubies. If it wasn't for that deposit, rubies would probably have died a, a sorry death with the production coming out of Burma at the moment and all the embargoes and everything else. You look at all the stones they're still finding in Mozambique. You look at the Ethiopian emeralds, for example. I've seen some spectacular stones. They didn't even know there were emeralds four or five years ago in Ethiopia. You know, there's still so much that's being discovered and found.
0: So the future looks bright.
1: Yeah, it's a far more, it's a far quicker changing environment, the gemstone industry than, than many others. So you've just got to keep up.
0: Well, we certainly will try. Janet, thank you so much for giving us your time. Uh, It's been interesting. I've uh, rediscovered some of my earlier technical terms when I I learned about gemstones. And uh, now you've imparted your wisdom on so many out there. But it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. And we hope to have you again at some point.
1: Brilliant. Thanks, Ariel. Talk to you soon. Bye.
0: Bye. I'd like to thank you all for tuning in again and listening to this podcast. If you found it interesting and entertaining, please do follow me for future episodes and share this podcast with friends, family, or colleagues. We've got some unbelievable podcasts coming up with some incredible guests. So please return and please subscribe. Find that subscribe button, whether you're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, whichever you're using, find the subscribe button and subscribe. That way, it's not a mission. And please, if you can, leave a comment or question. If you have one, I'll do my best to answer or perhaps even make it a future episode. This has been Gems and Jokes with Ariel Tivon. Have an awesome day.